Welcome to Buffy Virgin, a spoiler-free Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. We're ordering takeout because it's season six, episode 21. I'll take two to go. I'm your host, cartoonist Dennis St. John. And why don't you guys, everybody else, introduce yourself uh, with what your role is in the prison break. Uh, my name is Travis, and I guess I would be the uh, the fake prison doctor. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hi, my name is John. I think uh, I'd like to be the guy who, like, uh, like that, that movie with Harry Potter in it where he whittles all the false keys. Anybody see that Harry Potter prison escape movie? Whittles all the false keys out of wood? No. It's sorry, not Harry Potter. It's got Daniel Radcliffe in it. It just seems like it's Harry Potter escaping. <laughs> this is like, is this the prisoner of Azkaban? <laughs> That's like, it's like whether whittling of keys there. Right, so you're a whittler. Yeah, I'm a whittler. Well, my name is Mike. I've only seen Buffy up to season six, episode 21. Two to go. And I would be the prosecutor's son. So I would just, um, you know, run intel checks. And then you guys could figure out what was going on on the inside from my Snapchat. Because I have my secret Snapchat. I'll be showing you what's going on in the prosecutor's office. Oh, Dennis, you would be the courtroom sketch artist, right? <laughs> who's, yeah, who's sent to jail for like bad drawings. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, yeah, my plan is I'll sketch out a scene of us all asleep. And that's how we feel. Oh, you the make guards. the maps. You, you make the map and stuff. You sketch the map and the... That's how we do. Because we don't have the raw power of either Buffy or Willow to just literally break prisons. So let's... Find out what is happening in this episode and listen to the summary. The summary. Two to go. The gang races through the woods hoping to find Warren alive, but instead find him inside out and hanging like a human sausage. Hearing Willow say one down, they know that Jonathan and Andrew will be next on this witch's magical chopping block. Using her demon powers, Anya is able to teleport herself to the jail immediately. While there, Anya tries to distract Willow while Buffy races to the jail and is able to make it just in time to bend those bars apart and extricate our two jailbirds. The gang steals a cop car, which should be enough to engineer their escape, but Willow commandeers a much slower, much larger semi-truck that implausibly is able to ram the cop car repeatedly until it runs out of juice. Meanwhile, during the life and death scenes in Sunnydale, Spike is facing down his own undead life and death trial in Africa, He has to fight a burly bodybuilder with fire fists. A real bummer for the flammable undead. Clem, the reformed kitten eater, is a babysitter for Don, but can't keep her entertained and safe, and Don goes to look for the warlock Rack. Unfortunately for Don, Willow has already taken care of Rack and is looking a bit more evil than before, but she's feeling great. Buffy arrives to Rack's otherworldly haunt just in time to save Don, but Willow teleports them all to the magic shop anyways, and Buffy and Don collapse. She then does her best Emperor Palpatine impression and tries to electrocute Jonathan and Andrew, but is stopped by a magic spell from Anya. Willow knocks Buffy aside, and Xander escapes with Andrew, Jonathan, and Don. Andrew tries to double-cross Xander, but is stopped by a repentant Jonathan. Willow realizes that Anya was chanting the magic spell to contain her power and knocks her out and turns her attention to Buffy, only to be sent flying by a magic spell from Giles. All right, uh, let's do great lines. Great lines. Uh, one of the all-time great lines, not only of this episode, but of all of television history, I think, is uh, Andrew saying, you saw her. She's a truck-driving magic mama. And we've got maybe seconds before Darth Rosenberg grinds everybody into Jawa burgers. And not one of you has the midi-chlorians to stop her. You saw her. She's a truck-driving magic mama. And we've got maybe seconds before Darth Rosenberg grinds everybody into Jawa burgers. And not one of you bunch has the midichlorians to stop her. I was very jealous that you typed that down first. Yeah, I (laughs) I made sure to get into the doc to steal that. Uh, Great on so many levels. Uh, It's also like really early on to be referencing midichlorians. Like I feel like that was still new at the time. And uh, really labels Andrew as like, not just like, like he's a geek other geeks pick on by like referencing like the prequel Star Wars films. Yeah, I definitely want to get into Andrew's like constant uh, pop culture this this episode. Well, there's they've learned, I believe, that Warren <laughs> was killed and uh, Jonathan and Andrew in jail. And Andrew says, oh, my God, Warren. And Jonathan says, oh, my God, me. Now she's coming here and the two of you are next. Oh, my God, Warren. Oh, my God, me. 
And uh, I also chose the Jonathan line when, they're, when he's yelling at Andrew in prison or in jail. He says to Andrew, you are sadness personified. Lex Luthor had a false epidermis escape kit in Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man Treasury Edition. Okay, first of all, those were sonic disruptors. Second of all, you are sadness personified. And it's like, that's a badass line. Like, you want to say something to someone? Bam, you are sadness personified. Uh, I chose a Xander line, but he is reacting to Jonathan and Andrew. He goes, I can smack you so hard your eyeballs will switch sockets. You know, I could summon a demon that would kill her. And I could smack you so hard your eyeballs will switch sockets. No one is getting killed. It's <laughs> a good threat. Yeah, I was like, I haven't heard that before. All right, uh, let's do the kill count. The kill count. A big week for violence, not a ton of deaths, but we had just multiple KOs from everyone from cops to Anya. One literal and figurative uh, jailbreak, because shit gets broke. Um, we have both Grand Theft Cop Car and Truck Possession. We have one dead Warlock and one dead Mortal Kombat character. So that's the kill count. Let's move on to Weird Noticings and Trivia. Weird Noticings. Okay, I just want to call out the uh, the previously on Buffy segment as uh, this little intro. I don't know if ever this is on all the versions of it, but it has this uh, the version I watched. It has this little intro uh, with just Xander's voice saying, "This is what happened this year," and then it goes through everything <laughs> that's happened in season six, and it's just exhausting. <laughs> like you just feel like you want to stop watching up to like the, that thirty seconds because it's so dense and horrible. <laughs> Yeah, dude, good call. I like almost never watch these intros, but that one got me right away. Yeah. Such a powerful one. (laughs) Right, because, yeah, Buffy died this season, right? Like she was resurrected and uh, claw her way out of the ground. (laughs) That's where that seems like ages ago. Yeah. So so much trauma ago. (laughs) We're still on that. (laughs) Did we know that Vengeance Demons could teleport before this episode? Um,. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, we knew they got around. We didn't know. I don't know if we knew they could bamf, but. (laughs) Yeah, that does feel new. I mean, it's super fun to have this conversation about like magical transportation. How are we going to get to the jail in time to save Andrew and Jonathan from, you know, flying Willow? (laughs) And then just like, oh, yeah, I can teleport. I'm going to take care of this. Yeah. Oh, I didn't think to look for it, but does Anya have a new pendant? Because, like, originally uh, she had that pendant that you had to smash to break out of the alternate universe. Mm. Do you think she has a new magic pendant that we haven't noticed? Uh, she might, but she's not wearing it on top of her uh, shirt. Not around Dawn, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that would be a dead giveaway, right? <laughs> okay. uh, it's funny, also, speaking of teleportation, that Anya's like, don't worry, we have time, because Willow won't transport... Cause- she won't te- teleport because she's a witch and all this stuff. But like the effect we see both times is her teleporting. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, we see her fly also, but we see her specifically teleporting. So it's like, I don't know, whatever. Very minor. Does anyone even attempt to, do any of the cops attempt to shoot Willow? I feel like guns have learned have been very effective against uh, <laughs> people in this universe. Mad, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think the cops even fire. These are like, are these good cops? What's going on here, guys? Uh, yeah, such animal. I think if you look in the upper right-hand corner of the screen, you can definitely see that Willow has enough stars there to uh, be assassinated by the cops. <laughs> it just seems for the amount of Nerds. power she's wielding, there should be a lot more gunpowder being used against her or firepower from the cops. Yeah, like, agree. Uh, it just, that whole scene feels like it takes place in slow motion to me, and it's not actually in slow motion just because the police response is so anemic. You'd think, like, they're so happy for an opportunity to use their guns uh, but again, well, this must be magic denial. Sorry, John. We know from like season two, season three that the yeah that the the, the cops are kind of in on the magic a little bit, right? That they have been they have they may have protocols like when something magical happens to stand back and sort of let it go, stand right? Back, like back, like kind of how like like the cops don't really chase you uh, the way they used to in in like car chases, like they you know because it's safer just to kind of like let it go, catch up with you later. Is that that's a thing, right? I feel like I read that somewhere. Sure, sure. 
Yeah. Um, so like yeah. something magical happens. It's like, it's actually like less destructive and, and better for the public safety. If you just sort of like let it happen. Try to, I mean, try I to think it's because she's a white witch. Oh, well, obviously. She's a black witch. Whole different story. <laughs> no, it seems like that's a component. I mean, sure. But I just, it felt like they were, they were ineffective and I wanted to see them use more of their cop power to see more of Willow's power. But Maybe it's just cheaper special effects wise, whatever the case is. But it seems like that could have been heightened. But yeah. I guess we don't want Willow to kill anyone because I guess if they tried to kill her, she might kill a police officer instead of just knock him out. So it wouldn't be that hard to be like see like a gunshot and see like it bouncing off or something. But they did, they just didn't do it. Yeah, and she's tearing the hell out of that prison, man. Uh, I think that's an awesome scene because it's so cr- it's so big for this show to like have all this shit happening in front of everybody and everything. That's true. So there's a moment where Buffy says uh, about Willow that, you know, killing people changes you. Believe me, I know. It seems like Buffy's referring to a time when she's killed somebody, but I don't know what she's referring to. Did you guys, is, am I missing something obvious here? Is she talking about Faith? Is she talking about herself killing the, uh, the, the knights? I mean, she thought she killed Ted, but he was a robot. Right. Uh, she could be talking about Faith. Um, I don't think she thinks about those nights at all. Yeah, I don't no, think she does is, either. Oh, that really messed up the, uh, the the mythology of the show. Like, I like the idea nights. she's talking about Ted. Actually, that makes the most sense because for her to see, like when she says, believe me, I know, that makes it sound like an experience she's had, not that something she watched Faith do. I think it's yeah. Ted. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's the Ted experience that she's referring to. I, I don't know. She's very good at compartmentalizing. And, and if something is, is proved to be supernatural, she, she feels, yeah, it, it should be that she's re- re- referring to Ted, but I just don't understand. Or maybe, oh, maybe she's talking about killing Angel. Angel's technically a vampire, but, you know, they were lovers. Yeah, okay. But Ted is, a, yeah, Ted, Ted, she actually got the blame for that. But, um but interesting. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't place it either. But maybe, yeah, maybe Faith. Hmm. I mean, she's dusted so many demons, and the fact that they don't think of that as killing is its own, you know, moral yeah. gray part, which, of course, right. we're, we've talked about many times. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know which one specifically. Did, she, I mean, did, she, did she kill anyone in that episode when she was in L.A.? They were just demons, right? Yeah. Underground demons. Okay. Right. Similar sort of nitpicky question, I suppose, is that like she keeps saying like, um, you know, oh, if she kills some, if Willow kills somebody, she will have crossed a line. Like she says that it's like, she just did kill somebody. Why wasn't that the line? It's like, oh, but she kills two people. That's you know, the line. <laughs> keep moving the field. Cause they don't want to, <laughs> they're like, yeah, we fucked up this one time. <laughs> Okay, uh, you guys want to do a little zoom in and enhance? Always. Yeah. Always. Okay, so I, I, for dramatic effect here is how I'm going to do this. I want you guys to look at the uh, screenshot that I have uh, down at the bottom of the dock. Do you see the uh, badge on the police officer's arm? This is also the same badge worn by all the police officers in this episode. Um, this is the best, clearest shot of it. You guys see that? It says uh-huh. Metropolitan Police, and it says Integrity, Knowledge, Courage underneath. Um, does that sound familiar to anybody? You don't, no, no. Okay. So let me, uh, I'm going to paste in another image uh, underneath it for you guys. There it is. Let that load up for you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. That was a dramatic reveal. Thanks. Wow. Wow. I wanted to get, uh, yeah, get your reactions. Uh, What is that, John? So that is from Police Academy. So this is uh, the uh, exact badge worn by all of the police in Police Academy. Uh, all of the uniforms worn by the police officers here. I, I, I don't know which thing happened. I don't know if it's like a subtle in-joke or like an Easter egg that they put in that they thought that would be funny, like a comment on the Sunnydale Police Force, or if they just like literally went to get cop uniforms and this was what the uh, costume house had was the, all of the leftover uniforms from police Academy. I have no idea which one it would be. Either one is kind of hilarious. Like, I mean, do you think uh, one of the cops is running around in a Steve Gutenberg worn uniform? <laughs> I, I mean, it seems entirely possible, doesn't it? It truly does. The goot himself. Does, does the rest of the uniform also look like it? Not just the badge. I, uh, I'm not as not like, 
it, it, it is just the badge as far as I can tell, but okay. um, I didn't extensively look through all the different Police Academy movies to see what uniforms they're wearing. They're wearing, in the image I have here, they're wearing dark color uniforms, okay. uh, uniform shirts, and it's light color uniform shirts and for Sunnydale. But again, I, I, yeah, I don't know. Wow, that's really crazy. That breaks your mind. Did, did, you, rec- <laughs> did you recognize like this instantly, John? No, not at all. No, I, oh. I, I uh, and, and the way that I do any text that goes up on screen in any point in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I just Google. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so that's my new habit. And by new, I mean for the last five years or whatever we've been doing this. It would be great if you were just such a big uh, Police Academy fan. We were able to pull that out. <laughs> Who makes Steve Gutenberg a star we do. See, this um, is great. Great work. Damn, that just blows me away, man. That's that's a mind. That's that's crazy. It all goes back to one prop shop in LA or something. Yeah, they make the Morley cigarettes. Uh, that's where uh, you got to go one layer back. Where's the prop shop that all this stuff came from? Yeah, it's probably in the credits. Well, this killer truck powered, you know, by Willow is incredible. Uh, it's a super surprising uh, prop to do and it just shows how they're topping themselves in this episode as far as effects and imagination. It's really a fun mess. Yeah, I wish it lasted longer. It's fun like (laughs) fun madness, you know. Yeah, I mean that could have ended in like whatever spectacular murder explosion that they wanted. It feels like it's a little bit cut short with Jonathan just like remarking how she uh willow's weakening and he can see it and apparently no one else is capable of noticing her powers waning uh and then you know just kind of i feel like it kind of just ends that chase scene yeah i would have loved to have seen an actual like buffy versus truck scene that would have been awesome like oh yeah and that truck driver who was just like <laughs> a poor guy does not know yeah. what's going on. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's uh, sort of impressive that when Willow's uh, you know, power starts to flag, he manages to stop the truck pretty quickly. That means he never stopped. He never gave up pumping the brake, right? Yeah. So he's the whole time he's been pumping the brake because nothing's been happening. He kept doing it, which was the right thing to do. He got the, he got the control back right away. It was good. He's, he's the real hero is what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, uh, yeah. So I do want to talk a little bit about uh, Clem uh, in Spike's uh, crypt uh, reviewing different snack foods. Uh, and Dawn's not really feeling it because she's, you know, got bigger things to worry about. But I want to say that I am totally here for Clem's snack food review YouTube channel. <laughs> like I would definitely, that's a hard subscribe for me for sure. Like I'm definitely a sucker for uh, people doing in-depth reviews of really awful mass-produced consumer products michael you did a review you did a review at one point of uh different flavors of gatorade or something and i guess it was mountain great. dew it was mountain dew it was mountain yeah. dew that's what it was yeah different mountain oh, dew no, flavors it was gatorade right oh mountain dew yeah that i was did on video and then i had another one on gatorade yeah oh you've done both yeah absolutely and then the one you did about like your uh, taco bell challenge mm-hmm. love stuff like that i'm definitely a sucker for that particular brand of clickbait yeah, and, I and would if you, that extra it. layer of it being a demon. Just yeah. Really. Mm-hmm. yeah. What more could you ask for? As somebody maybe a little younger than Don, I remember being like into that kind of thing. Like when I'm with my friends, like let's do a food. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't quite like. I don't quite know why I did that. Like, I don't get the enjoyment now. But. I mean, I would be all about that for like sodas because there's so many weird sodas. And yeah. if you go to a place like a world market where you can get access to international soda, I remember just being so thrilled by that. I know Travis and I would do that. Uh, probably looped you guys in on that kind of trip to go and just buy different Asian sodas. Yeah. Yeah. In it and, like, mm-hmm. just- and we would go to that uh, grocery store in Cincinnati. It was yeah. like, uh, I want to say it was like Big Al's, but it's not Big Al's. It's something it's like- else. Yeah, like I mean, a, I still go to the Asian Mart and get excited when I see a new soda or something. Jungle Gyms. Like, Jungle yeah. Gyms, yes. Yeah. Jungle Gyms. Yeah. Shout out if you live in Cincinnati, Ohio. You already know about Jungle Gyms. Like when I see a Picari Sweat, I'm all like, oh, oh Those are great. I can actually get those around here. Taste great. I've seen the Picari Sweat factory in Japan. Oh, is, is it, it really just a bunch of sweaty people? Is it the sweaty women it's as just they like, advertise? Yeah. It's just teen <laughs> girls running really hard and getting collected. Those are, yeah, that advertising campaign was super confusing. That'd be, wow. It was like a combination of advertising and how this is made. Well, uh, yeah, Rack got super important these last few episodes. This is kind of an interesting 
character I thought wasn't going to come back or be essential. And then Rack is just like this hub of info related to the spirit world. But is he? Because like, apparently just people just don't know wizards. Like, because, you know, we were here last episode with Warren, who was trying to get some su- supplies, I guess. Uh, can't go to the magic box for reasons. So Rack is like the other magic box, the evil magic box kind of vibe. And like, so we stopped by here. It's like the local head shop for magic stuff, but like you can't get it at the magic box. It's like the stuff that's under the counter. Anyway, just a little bit like like Lauren, like the host. Like he's got he's got a little bit of that vibe going on because he also knows about the you know the world. Yeah, I just I would love that this had been fleshed out a little bit more than just kind of a drug den because it feels like there's so many interesting needs the show has that lets us plug into rack, you know, at different yeah. times. But I think he's just ultimately too creepy for the show because he <laughs> for sure holds the creepiest line this episode, the, you still taste like strawberries, but now you're ripe. You're ripe. Like, damn. Creepy thing to say. For sure. Yeah, what do you think about so that, Trips? <laughs> no, I was just saying that this feels like the, like, the, like someone's pent-up idea of like the scariest pornographic porno that they've ever not made they're like oh no let's throw this in oh let's throw this in he even has a name rack you know he even has like a strange name right but i want to say this is also when 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 um don shows up at, at racks this is like a perfect example of why you can't give uh your team members bullshit uh, or bs jobs to do right you have to give someone something meaningful to do because if you don't they're going to go awol and that's exactly what Dawn did. Like she didn't have anything to do. She didn't have any real role. So she just, she just superimposed and made up her own role. And that got her into trouble. Yeah, no BS work for the team. No busy work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the meanwhile on this episode is this Spike fighting against a flame-fisted warrior. I mean, it's a really fun, weird scene. You know, the stakes are still unclear. I mean, they're fighting to the death. But like what Spike gets out of this, I made predictions. Y'all know what's going to happen. I'm disappointed because Spike has this amazing line and it feels so muted. Here we are now, entertain us. And it felt yeah. such a weak line. I mean, they kind of have this arc for Spike where it's like low power Spike underestimates the fight and then comes out on top, which is fun. But just like, I know James Marsters could have read that so much differently. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I just want that. I want a James Marsters character to like just own that line. And so, so disappointing. <laughs> Here we are now. Entertain us. Because I feel that anytime, if you say here we are now, entertain us. Uh, guys, I'm in high school. Nirvana's playing. Come on, right? Like we're all yeah. we're all in it. So it was just a bummer. Also, yeah. they could have, you know, with a Marvel movies budget, they would have just had a Nirvana song. Like kind of, we just jump into it. That would be awesome if it, yeah, if Teen Spirit actually started. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, thanks I, for naming the song. Sorry, I, yeah. <laughs> Also, like that, the like flame fist guy. Just this is the most I've ever felt like I was just watching like a fighting game. I don't know if it's Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat. I called it Mortal Kombat earlier, but it's like because later he gets to finish. He gets to finish him. Finish him. That guy oh. is like the dollar store rock. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I expect him to be like Yoga Flame, Yoga Flame. <laughs> also, why did uh, why did Spike not vamp up and bite him? Oh, yeah. That's a good question. Because he wants to be human, so he can be Buffy's human I guess if you're boyfriend. a vampire, you can't bite another demon, right? Like, that's, he's... No, you totally can. I think they just taste bad, mm. right? Yeah. Well, I don't know if they taste bad, but... Well, actually, you don't. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, vampires rarely live off of demon blood. I think just because humans are easier, right? Yeah, but he never even goes into vampire faith, which is weird, since he's yeah. getting, getting beat up. Yeah. Well, that's okay. We like James Marsters anyways. It wasn't his fault. <laughs> yeah, this whole exchange over at the magic box where we're trying to find out ways to protect ourselves from an incoming willow or stop willow. And uh, Jonathan's trying so hard to be helpful. <laughs> like, he switched sides so hardcore, but no one's noticed that he switched sides. Yeah, yeah. It's, so, uh, it's so frustrating, but it's, that's part of the fun of the scene. It's like, we knew Jonathan's a little weasel that would, doesn't... Well, that whatever the world's been turning against him for many episodes now and he wants to turn so bad but like the world just won't let him he's like oh i know those sumerian characters uh maybe i can help like shut up jonathan (laughs) i love it i love just like 
he, he's just so far in the wrong camp now. Nobody can trust him. He's just yeah. lost all his credibility. <laughs> I mean, and the, the emotional arc happening that we're not even talking about is like, War or Andrew keeps being like, we didn't do anything. We're the victims here. He's like creating this whole other narrative. And Jonathan is like, no, we deserve this. But he's like, really, he's like, I like Jonathan's story this episode where he's like, I've known Willow as long as you guys. Like, I know how bad this is that this has happened and this is my fault. Um, but nobody, yeah, nobody wants to hear it. Nobody wants to like give him his redemption arc, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're right. That, Cause that's what he's asking for. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just calling out the main beats in this episode, I guess, that are like totally in- interesting to me. So the Willow versus Dawn thing that happens at Rax is so amazing because it's like, it's just good writerly stuff where the writers can pull out, you know, exactly what's been going on in the show and like get right to the heart of something that it just, it feels un- unreal, kind of surreal when it comes up. But like, yeah, yeah Dawn, you're just, that's some mystical energy. Maybe you should stop whining and just get back to being a, like a, some energy of some kind you know, by me killing you. <laughs> like, it's such a creepy uh, kind of moment for Dawn. You know, Willow's been like, you know, an untrustworthy friend for her this whole season. And just like, here we are. <laughs> it's almost the end of the season. And uh, it's getting a lot worse for Dawn and Willow. You know, Dawn and Willow's relationship is really built on the existence of Tara. And like with Tara gone, it's like Willow could give less, you know, could, does not care about that relationship. And I kind of, I kind of believe this Dark Willow that that's the case. <laughs> that like, Real Willow doesn't care about this relationship, and I, it's Tara that kind of kept that relationship uh, together. Yeah, she was the real mom figure, and like, it's the terrifying thing for Don of like, is this maybe what everybody thinks of me? Like that I cry and that I'm not a real person. Though, like, what's the fear in the back of her head that she's like only thought of as this like ball of energy and not a real person? And then they well, just directly call it out. I feel like Willow is void giving a voice to a lot of the like fan complaints about Don. Uh, crying from this yeah. time yeah that i think they think there was a a real strong anti-dawn sentiment among a lot of fans at the time i don't know if that's changed but i think uh it certainly has for me like uh watching this through this time i really I, i've really switched to pushed up to be really team dawn yeah yeah for sure me too although i like the thing they point out i don't think it's a fault of the characters a fault of the writing this season is that they go back so hard every episode on crying dawn it's right like, give dawn a week where she doesn't cry <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's the whole repetitive nature of season six. Like, let's have yeah. Buffy be sad this episode and then come out of it. And then she's super sad the next episode. Right. Um, but I really dig once Buffy shows up, I dig the practical effect, like camera trick that they do while Willow, Willow transports Buffy and Don back to the magic shop while monologuing. And it's through this like camera turn where the background changes and like the soundtrack, uh, like cues in, you in on it and stuff. It's so much better than if they did a like zap zap zap, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, the nah. CG effects just don't age well. Like even yeah. the like the like purple mist lightning thing she does is just kind of. Meh. Yeah, it's medium. It's yeah. very medium. Yeah. Because there's stuff from the '80s that's really worked, and for, I don't know why the purple stuff doesn't make like doesn't hold up. I also loved and wanted to talk about the Xander Anya kind of forced to work together this up thing, and like there's a whole lot of weird stuff happening in terms of what their arcs are. I guess like, you know, what's going on in the relationship. Cause it's like Xander's apologetic. He's weak. Yeah. He's, Cause he's totally impotent for this episode. Like he can't keep up with anybody. Uh, he's not helpful. It's inadvertently led to, you know, maybe this happening is, you know, he takes a lot of blame for himself. I he doesn't want him to be a martyr. I mean, this is just a lot. And, you know, for people that basically never want to see each other again, this is pretty <laughs> wonderfully intense. Uh, yeah, when you break up, but you still still have to save the world. Ugh, totally. Uh, but I mean, Anya is pulling a lot of weight this episode. Between like her doing all the teleporting to keep everybody informed and stuff, and then she's the one doing the spell casting to protect uh, everybody. Like we've never really seen her be this active in a fight before. Um, it it feels like a real change for her. All right, I guess let's talk about it. Buffy versus Willow. It really <laughs> it really feels like a, a moment. For a confrontation because it's like they even call out you know willow's like oh you know fighting a slayer like this is this is the real deal what are you made of like this is buffy versus willow writ large you know in the script here and like it's just so underwhelming just to fight and throw each other at bookcases yeah you know 
And I, I, I feel a little disappointed that um, they feel so evenly matched. And like what I would have liked, like how I would have written it, I think, is like Willow has all the magic she wants to be able to do stuff like make herself stronger than Buffy. But what she could never do is like give herself all of Buffy's like experience. So I'd mm. love to see her just be super strong, but like outmatched, like in terms of like speed and dodging. And like, there's no reason she'd have any like real fight intelligence, right? Mm-hmm. I think that would have been a very like vis- a visually more interesting fight. That's how I would have done it. But you no, know. I lo- I like that. Yeah, because I mean, you can see how they they were trying to figure out how to do this, right? Yeah, and having you know Willow who has all of the magic in the world versus Buffy who is basically just like Captain America, right? Yeah, good at, good at punching. Uh, it's sort of I mean, it's sort of like having like oh, what would happen if, uh, you know, Bruce Lee fought a tank? Like, it's just not an interesting, <laughs> it's not an interesting fight, right? So they have, they have to come up with this, like, um, contrivance of, like, oh, she can't cast spells, but she can cast spells on herself. And that kind of works, but you're right, it, it doesn't, it doesn't. Because and I think Buffy like, even has that line of, like, you don't know anything about what it, about what being a slayer is about, you know? Yeah. And, like, then we don't, then we see evenly matched people, like, with the same, like... Oh yeah, and Willow even's like, I want to. I'm going to be the Slayer. I wonder what it's like to be the Slayer. Like, she's going to become the Slayer if she kills her. Like, there's just there's like a couple random wild lines happening, and they're cutting to these crane. There's like a crane shot in it, but the crane shot is clearly just there to hide the stunt people. You know, it's not really like yeah. there to make the heighten the you know the fight. Complaints department. Hello. <laughs> oh, I like I like the fight. I, I didn't have too many complaints to be honest. It didn't. Yeah, I was okay with the fight. But I agree with Dennis. I, I, I agree with Dennis's plan is how it should have been. Buffy should have had all the experience because she's been doing it for six years. And then Willow should have been just, you know, got knocked down and then get up again. Yeah. And I guess like then you get knocked down again. Like... And then you get up again. <laughs> you take a whiskey drink, you take a vodka drink. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was just laughing that uh, they all had... they. Buffy had one-liners. Like they kept doing one-liners until like until they just one-linered themselves out, and then they. <laughs> but like, if you're like a a badass like fighter, you got to get your one-liners in check. Like you need to <laughs> sit down with some with some ream, reams of paper and write out those one-liners because you got to have them on call for your next fight. Yeah, this is this is why Spider-Man is such a frustrating character for people to fight because he's just constantly quipping, and you're like, "Can we concentrate on the punching?" <laughs> well, he's he's a journalist, spends a lot of time writing those one-liners, really nails it yeah. when he heads out there into the web world. Uh, the Jonathan Andrew thing, gosh, the inversion here where Andrew's like going to turn on the um, on the Scoobies is awesome. I mean, it's so brief, but it's like that's all I expected from Andrew. Something so small yeah. like that. That's awesome i also like if i was xander and andrew was sticking a knife like at my throat i mean a sword at my throat i still wouldn't be afraid of him (laughs) (laughs) i just don't believe that guy is as a threat in any way um oh man andrew like i know it's like it's a part of the arc of like like he wants to see this like fictional reality and he's like you know, he sees the world fictionally and that's how he can create himself as a victim instead of the villain. But his constant pop culture references are like so much. I'm like, this must be what it's like to hang out with Kevin Smith. (laughs) Why I would never want to do that in my life. (laughs) I mean, it makes me cringe a little because it's like, this is kind of how we used to talk, right? But I'm glad we don't do that anymore. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, we've all been cured. I wouldn't obviously, say we're, I would see we haven't. I just realized that I do that version, but I just quote Buffy. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm like Andrew. It's all Buffy centric uh, lines. Yeah. Well, when things get rough, he just hides behind his Buffy. Buffy. I mean, you literally just did a Chumbawamba bit, just like. Ago. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't think. Uh, yeah. Narcissism of small differences. Well, I think and uh, Andrew just makes all the references he makes are like real are, are just very trite and over referenced. Yeah, he says the far, far away in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah, he's all about Star Not Wars. Always. And X-Men. Not always, not always. Because that's true. Counterpoint yeah. to that. Counterpoint to that is in the last episode, he has this really lovely moment where he goes off on a little riff about how he misses the old Matthew Broderick and the new Matthew Broderick makes him you know feels cold. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that felt very heartfelt, <laughs> and I really liked that. Yeah. Maybe like that moment made me like Andrew a lot. Yeah, that's, like, God, that was so weird and so. <laughs> so 
I'm just saying it's with Andrew. It's a lot. That's all I'm saying. It's a lot. I agree. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. And, uh, but I've, I've definitely made that argument with other actors before. Like I like X version of actor before. Yeah. man, This is uh, hitting home. Yeah. That's the whole point of the trio is, is to, for the, a certain yeah, segment a critical, audience. A, look at how the trio made us turn against each other. <laughs> <laughs> That's so it. I'm done with references. I'm, oh, that is a reference. I'm done. Done being everybody's butt monkey. <laughs> <laughs> well, this episode ends with the amazing appearance of WTF Super Giles. And uh, he's amazing. Um, where'd he come from? What's he going to do next? I don't know. You got me, got me hanging on the edge of my seat here, folks. Um, I assume, <laughs> I assume he'll fight Willow, but, uh, is he in Ripper form? I don't know. He's got some kind of superpowers. Yeah. That, that was a real fun surprise. I was, I was expecting something completely different. I'm glad like you the, typed like that Watchers down. Council. Cause my, cause my note was daddy's home. So. <laughs> Hello, daddy. Hello, daddy. <laughs> If, if only the Watcher Council had shown up, that would have been so epic. Right, because Willow called herself the Slayer. They're like, we've got a new Slayer. <laughs> Man, you couldn't wake those guys out of bed if you killed three Slayers. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Uh, let's do questions for the group. Questions for the group. We just got one question, All but right, I think it's an important one. It's an important <laughs> question. Of course, it's about food. Um, so my question for the group is: What snack food texture that uh, what what snack foods texture do you dislike but actually like the flavor of? So in the episode, it was cheese balls, and I think, and for those of you not in North America, a cheese ball is generally a puffed corn uh, ball that's coated with cheese. So. Um, for me, I'll go first since I came with the question. Um, it's the Lucky Charms uh, marshmallows. Um, so Lucky Charms cereal, North American uh, origi- <laughs> origi- or origination or derivation. And it's a styrofoam-like marshmallow that just feels like you're chewing on styrofoam and causes a chalk. To me, it, it's like a nails on a chalkboard experience in your mouth. And um, so I can't eat those marshmallows unless they're they're so soggy they're not styrofoam. <laughs> That's the trick. Just let them soak. Let I can't them remember so- the let them soak. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I ate Lucky Charms. It's been a long time. Well, you've gone um, to the adult version of cereal, whatever that is, right? Like muffins. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Leave, <laughs> leave the kids cereal behind. <laughs> muffins that would be great to have, a, to have a, an aisle in the grocery store where there's like cereal and then there's like muffins in a box it says for adults only <laughs> give me a muffin i eat a lot of tack takis mm-hmm. and i'm real because i i as of like a day a day ago after before this podcast was filmed i like cracked a tooth so i'm like maybe like all the like really hard crunchy food i eat affected that Takis are really spicy and delicious, but they're like, um, like imagine a corn chip rolled tightly. So it's like a lot to crunch into. I feel like that might have armed my tooth a little. I've been slowly exploring the British snack food world. Um, and what the, the recent thing that I had that I think fits Travis's description of good flavor, weird texture is I just bought a bag of Marmite flavored cashews, which is like, on paper, really good because I really like I like Marmite. I'm, I'm team Marmite. I like cashews a lot, so I was like, I'll definitely get these. And they they do taste good, uh, but they're weirdly sticky. Oh, huh. Oh, yeah. Which is not a, sticky. Not okay. Sticky. Not into it. You know what I really like cashew wise? Trader Joe's has spicy Thai cashews. Oh, that sounds good. They're expensive. It's like seven bucks a bag. Yeah, or ca- cashews are always expensive. Yeah, but cashews delicious. are a sometimes food. Well, for whatever reason, there's I just don't really like soft things. I like things to be kind of crunchy. Like cake is really soft, and um, I guess it's not really a snack food. It means it's like a, but it's not food. Oh anyway, no, it's, it would qualify. Yeah, just like I don't mind cake, but I so it's just so soft. I wish there was a crunchy cake. You know, I guess that's a yeah. cookie. I'm with you on that. Yeah. You must you must really that. dislike tiramisu, because tiramisu is cake that's soaked. 
I'm just not a pudding guy. <laughs> no, pudding is disgusting to me. Yeah, you're right. I can't handle this like goopy texture, but the flavors are often so good in pudding. It's a, I didn't know that about you, Michael. What, if yeah, I don't I like eating goop? Yeah, you don't like soft food. <laughs> I mean, I, I a lot really of people crunch. don't like pudding. It is goopy, yeah. What? I'm with you delicious. on cake, though. Cake is overly, I think, would be, would be improved by a little bit of crunch. I agree with you on that. Maybe like a crusty outer layer. You I know? think you're describing a pie. Which is yeah. so superior food stuff to a cake. <laughs> it is. A pie travels better than a cake. Let's all admit that. But it's also I'm better not- for eating with your face. <laughs> better for You're right. I, I'm totally pie team pie in the cake pie thing. That cake pop thing though is like it's all wrong to me. That should What's be cake, a cake pop. Is that cake flavored pop? Well, it'd be like a cake that's dipped in like a chocolate or something. Like it's oh, kind of okay. like a donut almost, like a glaze. Like a cake donut. lollipop. Yeah. So donuts are fun. Oh, those soft, things. Those are gross. Is, yeah. Cake, like because donuts, I guess, are kind of like cake that's got a you little make them crunchy. Element. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're just enough texture that a donut is fantastic, but it, just cake itself is like it's like eating the filling of a donut, right? Does this mean that you prefer raw vegetables to cooked vegetables? No, I I still prefer cooked vegetables. Always been into cooked. Depends on the cooking. You got your roasted vegetables. That's got a nice <laughs> little you know skin to it. You know, you got some texture there. You're talking about steamed vegetables, that can be really un- uh, unfortunate. I I had an argument about food texture with a roommate once because he. I was making ramen and I was chewing on the like leftover bits, the crunchy mm-hmm. bits. Mm. And he was like, he was so disgusted with that. And the thing is like him and I, when we would argue, we would push each other to extremes. So he was like, I've never enjoyed the texture of anything was his like, <laughs> you know? and so I was like, oh, so you, it could just be pudding for you. Just different flavors of pudding. And that's fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> wow. I've never enjoyed the texture uh, of anything. Just wants to live in a frictionless void. Oh, boy, like, boys arguing is so funny. Yeah. <laughs> Travis nailed it. Yeah, it's just like, like in order to like win this argument, I'm going to push my own things to, to the craziest extreme. Uh, I feel like we got to the bottom of that. I feel like that's as off topic as we get, uh, <laughs> which is saying a lot. So let's move on to themes and deep stuff. So the only thing I, I wanted to bring up this episode is like, so after Willow kills Rack, we get like Dark Willow version two, which is like, she goes from pale face to like vein face. It's just a little design choice, but I think it's interesting because like first you got the whole thing of like, which is having like two faces the and like the face of evil has skin problems thing, right? Like there's countless like examples of like when you become evil, you're like the reveal of like your true face. Right. And you have like your Freddy Krueger's, you have like Angelica Houston and the witches. Um, Oh yeah. you got this, this whole thing. Right. I mean, the witch from Snow White has her like monster's face. Right. Um, So it's interesting to see that happen to Willow because she's like, and it's like, I mean, it's a trope and it's a cliche and there's a lot to criticize about like, what is the saying about people with disabilities and stuff to like other them? But a thing I wanted to bring up is I don't know I don't think this is necessarily the first time in pop culture that like a character gets veins when they get super powerful, but it's a very distinct marker. And I think it's interesting how much that's affect visually has affect this visual effect this effect has on pop culture. Um, and down at the bottom of the docs, and I uh, I brought up examples like Andrew calls uh, Willow the uh, Dark Phoenix at one point. And I wanted to bring up, this is uh, at the bottom here, I have the 2006 X-Men Last Stand. And we could start to see like the visual effects because we started to see like the skin cracking to show Jean Grey's power. Like she's got so much power, her skin is cracking and stuff. And it's just interesting to me because in the comics, that's not how her power was represented. If you go down to the um, 76 and 77 comics where Phoenix and Dark Phoenix show up, there's no like, that's not an indication. Right. Mm. That's not a, that's a, not a visual trope that they were using. And so it's really interesting to me that the the Buffy is referencing dark Phoenix, but then all the visual representation after that is referencing of the Phoenix and dark Phoenix is, is referencing Buffy. Um, so then we have the 2019 dark Phoenix and the skin cracking is getting like more extreme. Um, 
And then I found this when I was just like Googling. This is a 2020 show on the CW called Legacies. And this character is called Dark Josie. And if I, like, I haven't seen the show, but if I came across this, I would just be like, somebody is cosplaying Dark Willow. <laughs> <laughs> totally, yeah. But this is like, yeah, aired on the CW, which is like Buffy's like um, legacy network, I guess you could call it. Um, I don't know. I just think it's interesting to like what an impact Dark Willow has had. Andrew, this is really excellent research. I'm really impressed with what you're able to do. <laughs> Uh, thank you. I, you're, you're totally right, dude. I, you know, I would have, I think my brain went and retroactively put the X-Men movies, gave them the, you know, gave, I guess, Jean Grey, the dark Phoenix face in re- in retrospect, but that, you're totally right, dude. It looks like it developed over time. I wonder though, is this the first instance? I mean, you're kind of on top of this and like this uh, is Willow's cracking face, evil face, the first evil witch face. I mean, it's definitely not the first evil witch face, but the veins, it would, no. yeah, I think the vein, I think it was on the front lines of the veins and stuff because before that, an evil witch face is like you get a big nose and you get a wart on your nose. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe your skin is green if you're going like wicked witch. But I think this was a trope to show like she's got so much power, her body can't handle it, right? Um, and it gives like it's supposed to be connected to Willow's junkie arc this episode. Right, like the veininess oh, is kind of junky, yeah. like. So, which is funny that to then see it on something like Phoenix, uh, like X Men, because it's like there's no like drug story there, right? She's not gaining her Phoenix powers through drugs. Um, well, are they just are they just trying to show that that she has the power coursing through her veins, and then the veins are discolored? Maybe that's for the Dark Phoenix thing. Maybe like yeah. there's so much lightning power or something. I haven't seen the new the new X Men or the new Dark Phoenix or whatever it's called. <clears throat> Yeah, it it definitely is like uncomfortably racist to have dark, you know, darkness represent evil and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, that's a whole other thing we didn't even get into. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely nothing we agree with here on the podcast. It's just I don't I I, yeah, that's definitely uncomfortable to, to see that portrayed. Yeah, that's like, you know, the subtle language of like magic that you're like then. Like, but how does it like play out in the real world that we're associating light with good and dark with bad, right? Yeah. Good call, Trev. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is really interesting. I mean, you're really seeing the origin of a visual metaphor. The craft people, like people's effect, like visually mm-hmm. change when they get super powerful, but like, it's not the vein thing. Um, it's more like Willow level one where it's like you get super pale and become like fruisable. Goth. Like, yeah. Become super goth. <laughs> yeah. Super goth. Yeah. Do you want to move into recommendations? So I definitely wanted to talk about killer truck movies because there's a couple good ones. Well, there's one good one and one terrible one that I have in mind. Uh, the good one is Duel, the, uh, which is uh, Steven Spielberg's first feature, right? Uh, made for TV movie that he did, if, which if you haven't seen it, is, uh, it's exactly Jaws, but if Jaws was a truck, <laughs> uh it's super good love that movie um and then the other uh killer truck movie i could think of was maximum overdrive uh which is based on a stephen king short story it's the only movie that stephen king has directed himself uh and it's terrible and it's yeah. why he has not directed and has avoided directing anything since then yeah the story is like he i don't know if it's true or not but i that he was uncomfortable directing actors so that's why he chose like a book a story where you could direct mostly like inanimate objects. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> uh, well, but that um, one has a, the visual of the truck that has the green goblin head. Like, that's yeah, a really which, visual. which was a, yeah, that, that gave me that, that just image way before I ever saw the movie when I was a kid gave me like, not maybe nightmares, but like definitely was very spooky to me. That scary killer goblin truck was really scary. Well, um, I was going to recommend rolling vengeance. It's a Canadian rape revenge movie. I, I don't really like the title rape revenge as like a genre, but that is the style where wrongs are done and then they are righted in this case by a truck driver with an eight ton truck. That's like, I mean, it's, it's built for revenge. Um, it's awesome. Yeah. He's super, he like soups out the truck into like a monster truck of death <laughs> that the cops don't know exists. So he can like attack people with impunity. Cause nobody has ever seen this truck and lived. <laughs> 
Yeah, and you're just basically so excited every time the truck is out because you know it's going to kill somebody. <laughs> every time the you know the truck catches somebody alone. The truck also to like continue the meta the thing about it being like a, a rape revenge story. The truck has a giant drill in the front that he uses to drill people to death. <laughs> oh man, yeah, it's good if you like giant trucks, man. Um, no, notice, notice that I'm not recommending that movie. I also watched that movie, but I am not recommending that. It's fun to watch with friends, especially if you have one friend who's upset about it. <laughs> <laughs> Man, ideal conditions if you can handle it, if you can find it. The other thing that happens this episode is a prison break. So I was like, I mean, how often do we get to recommend prison break movies? Um, yeah. So I feel like the classic, the like real, the best of the genre is The Great Escape. Um, yeah, you know, let's escape from a Nazi prison camp, and we'll do it with like everybody has their like, you know, what role they take, and it's got like um, it's good, got good actors. Uh, it's an enjoyable movie, and uh, so I'm gonna recommend that. The one that's like the like, let's never properly escape is Cool Hand Luke. The like, um, <laughs> like I'm too like difficult to properly escape or to properly be in prison movie. Um, I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but I used to really like it in high school. Yeah, me but too. I, yeah. I feel like I'd, I'd be interested in seeing it again and seeing what I think. And then the, like, the one that's probably most similar to how Jonathan and Andrew are, minus the pop culture references, is Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? It's um, <laughs> like dopes on, the, dopes on the run. So those are my prison break uh, wrecks. And obviously there's a ton more. It's a huge genre. I didn't even get into like Clint Eastwood movies, you know, um, well, I was going to say you're missing one, which is number one in Criterion Spine Order, which is The Grand Illusion, a uh, classic prison break movie. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, I haven't seen The Grand Illusion. Um, uh, all right, why don't we do, where do we go from here? Okay, uh, so where I propose we go from here after this uh, journey uh, into Buffy is over uh, is that talking about, Dennis talked about uh, last time that we um, revive a project that he and I worked on years ago where uh, we did a uh, hosted sort of monster movie show, uh, roughly in the vein of Mystery Science Theater 3000, but certainly with our own style and spin on it. I think it's a really great idea. I love the idea of all of us taking on characters uh, in this sort of like horror hosting vein that could be characters that are approximate to our real personalities, but with, you know, being monsters or something. I think it's a great idea. What I would like to suggest is that maybe as a way to um, take it in a slightly different direction, since that's very well-worn territory, um, the idea of doing a hosted show with, with monster movies, is that we take the same approach, but to FMV video games. And... There's just a lot of them out there. There's a lot of them out there. They are in their own right, many of them, just very campy movies, right? And so you could take kind of the same approach to a lot of them. Uh, there's a, like, there's a Goosebumps FMV game I discovered today. Uh, you know, there, we could certainly do Night Trap, which is basically just a B movie anyway, right? Uh, and I think we could work in some interesting uh, approaches to this. You know, Michael has talked many times about the idea of us taking the show live, uh, rather than doing a podcast, which would uh, certainly save us the uh, the work of editing, but also maybe attract an audience in a different way, maybe, who knows. Um, and doing a video game live has some, uh, some interesting op- opportunities, I think, that it presents, which in that um, if it's a choose-your-own-adventure type game, we could, we could certainly have uh, people voting on which way the, the story will Ooh. go. Yeah, right. like if we did that it on live. Twitch. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Do something on Twitch or on YouTube live, something like that. Um, I think there might be some interesting technology opportunities to uh, figure out ways for uh, the four of us to pass the controller to one another, or I don't know how that would work. I think you'd have to figure it out per game. But um, but yeah, that's my pitch. Uh, I don't have a clever name for it. Uh, FM Vengeance. There you go. There's a name. I like it as an idea, but I would want to do it as, instead of instead of my idea and in, in, yeah. in addition to like oh sure yeah sometimes we'll do a public domain movie sometimes we'll do this fm video game thing sometimes we'll do um like a radio drama like oh let's that's really a change it idea. up idea <laughs> yeah i mean listening to a radio drama i mean then it's like just a cacophony of voices to figure out but that's a great idea <laughs> i mean that would be th- yeah the thing the challenge of like what do we do differently 
for the medium every time. I mean, not every single time, but maybe we, maybe those are the three like mediums we're trying and like we, we have yeah. different versions and one's a, one's a strict podcast. One's a Twitch stream, you know, why not do novels? We could just uh, read aloud a novel. <laughs> Yeah, why don't we just like uh, get an Audible account and then like riff on it? <laughs> I, I don't think anybody's really found a way to riff on books live, so I think that's a great idea. Like challenge, <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, there's that. Oh, my well, my that, dad wrote a porno one, right? Where they read right. a chapter from a porno book. That well, actually, there's there's a whole list of um of books that are in the public domain that need audiobooks or do, have not had an audiobook um, done, and the people who record audiobooks for free books so we could definitely do choose a book and then record It'd the be audiobook. so horrible if you were somebody who was like sight impaired and you're like ah oh, finally there's an audiobook of this book i've been meaning to read for ages and then it was us making fun of the book while we read it <laughs> that would be really annoying no. that would be like a real well, we disservice make, well maybe in that case we would not make fun of it we would just read it but with that's, I mean, that's a different version yeah yes <laughs> Well, I mean, I know we could do like the Castle of Otranto, which is a classic gothic horror that's like super old. Uh, Lovecraft even references it as a source of inspiration. And it's super cheesy and weird. That'd be a super fun one. Um, I want to yes and though the John's like suggestion of FMV games because it's such a weird genre. Um, it's really prominent in the 90s. It's like this early CD, early interactive fiction thing where people are trying to figure out how to do it. And it's just like people dumped all these terrible concepts into like hypercard projects and just made them work somehow onto CDs and DVDs. And like there's two systems, I'm thinking the 3DO, Philips CDI, just like it's kind of early interactive CD-ROM games. Mm -hmm. And like I didn't have a CD-ROM back then and I wasn't, had nowhere near the disposable income to even indulge in that stuff at the time. So like that would be a fun genre and like the technological side of it of just like having clunky old game systems that may or may not function that are probably, I mean, they're relics of themselves. Like the museum part of it is really appealing. I mean, this is like where, yeah, I mean, I, I think that would be kind of funky and interesting to do. The problem is I don't, I think those games play so fast that we wouldn't even have an opportunity to vote on decisions on what to do. And like, they're also True. all super hard. It's almost like, we could just record a play where we finish the game and then just play it back for people. Yeah. And then, like, that makes riff, more sense. Riff on the scenes that are, that are cause, cause like, I mean, or it could just all fail together. I mean, it'd be like playing dragon's lair live and it's like, yeah. cool, that was fun. Uh, all of us suck at pressing the up button at the right time. Cause the triggers. So <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I agree. I think that is a problem that would have to be solved is yeah. How do you deal with the real time reaction element of it? And it'd be no fun to watch us die. 10 times in a row in the same spot. Yeah. But what about playing text adventure games together live? Huh? What about that genre? <laughs> <laughs> oh no. That sounds fun. All right. Travis is in. We're going to play Zork and it's Ilk. Uh, Colossal Cave Adventure. Whatever you want to find. I feel like this idea is getting really away from me now. So. <laughs> okay, well <then>. Let's riff <laughs> a movie. <laughs> now we're just playing text games together. Dang. Yeah, and we could set up so we can play via text, right? Yeah, we could just text in to play the game. We wouldn't have to play. We'd just have it running and then riff on what people are doing. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe that's what we do. Maybe it's not. There's no way to predict. Speaking of predicts, <gasps> let's, let's go into predictions. Michael, at the moment, your overall accuracy uh, is a 65.54% for predicting the things that happen in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, your uh, record for predicting what happens in season six, uh, which is drawing quickly to a close, is currently at a 68.93. Still your second best season uh, overall. So, not too many predictions to address in this particular episode. We had a lot to address in the last episode, but for some reason, this episode, not so much. In Season 5, Episode 15, Michael, uh, you predicted that Dawn will play with a spike-like object. Now, bear with me here, because I have a bit of a long way around to try to confirm this one for you. Uh, Dawn spends some time hanging out and playing with, playing games with, Clem. Clem is not a person. 
climb as a demon. You could make the argument that having no soul, he may be more of an object than a person. You could also argue that living in Spike's lair and taking on the role, uh, he's only babysitting Dawn because Spike's not available, that he is, in fact, have, that he was chosen for his Spike-like properties. So we could argue that Dawn is playing with a Spike-like object, but uh, that's probably too far. Dennis says no. Dude, that so, is, that's tough. I mean, I, I <laughs> kind of like against that. Okay. All right. It was worth a try. Just thought I'd bring it up. Okay. All right. Here's maybe a better one. Uh, season six, episode one, Michael predicted that the Scooby gang is going to put together an intervention regarding Willow's dark magic hobby in season six. So is this an intervention? They're definitely trying to intervene in what she's doing. There's no like chairs in a circle. Uh, there's no um, talking pillow. But um, what do you guys think? Is this an intervention? I mean, it's a very aggressive intervention, I guess. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I see no reason to not count it as an intervention. It's a battle. Uh, yeah. Okay. We'll go ahead and confirm that one then. Uh, here's a super prediction we have. Michael super predicted uh, in season six, episode two, that the Buffy versus Willow battle is happening in season six. And so I think that, that's a clear confirmation there. So that's a super confirmation, Michael. Well done, sir. I see no way of arguing that you can't have that one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> season six, episode 17, Michael predicts that Jonathan will be the first member of the trio to confess their crimes. What do you think? Uh, has he confessed? Because I feel like he's definitely asking for penance, but is it a confession? I mean, he, in comparison to Andrew saying, we didn't do anything. Jonathan yeah. saying, yeah, we did. I think yeah. that's it. I think that, but he's saying it to he's saying it to his accomplice. So is that a confession? So surely a confession, telling somebody who already knows that you're guilty. I mean, doesn't he say it in front of Xander also? He's yeah, it's in front of Xander, but it's not to Xander. Okay, it's confirmed. I'm just just I'm just just trying to suss it out. Jesus Christ. Okay. (laughs) All right, that one will be confirmed. Okay, season six, episode seventeen as well. Michael predicts that there will be. An X-Men reference, right? And uh, thank you for catching this one, Dennis. I didn't catch this one. Yeah, they referenced the Dark Phoenix, which is uh, obviously an X-Men reference. So that's confirmed. Wow. And then uh, season six, episode 18. This is uh, one we have to keep asking you about, Michael. Uh, Willow and Tara's relationship will make Michael cry in a future episode. I didn't think this would be the one, but was it? I didn't cry this episode. Thank you for asking me. Yeah. Not even okay. during her speech about like all Willow had was the moments, just moments when Tara looked at me. Yeah. That bit was, a, that was a bit tender. Did you cry? Not this time. I can neither confirm nor deny what I do with my <laughs> eyes. <laughs> so that is an all confirmation uh, episode. We have some that we left open, but no denials. It's uh, oops, all confirmations. Okay. So that should make all your scores go up. Thus your... Uh, overall accuracy is now up to a 66.05 and your accuracy for season six is up to 70. You broke the 70 barrier. Yeah. Nine. Well, don't worry. I'll be going right back down into the low sixties. <laughs> All right. New predictions. One Warren never reappears again. Not even in dreams. We're so done with Warren. Willow and Buffy will be friends again. Seems obvious. There's another season of this show. I believe Xander will defeat Willow. I'm not sure what Spike is doing, but I believe Spike will become human after something Travis said this up that everyone kind of nodded to. So I think Spike's, I initially thought Spike was just trying to get the chip out. I think Spike's going to become human. What does that mean? Get a soul, no longer be a vampire. Do you guys get the gist of this? (laughs) I feel like this is going to, this is a hard one for Dennis. Looking at Dennis. I will like, say, Michael, I will fight you, you on whatever you say. Yeah, okay. you just said three different things. <laughs> yeah. You have yeah. to pick one. Spike will become human. Okay. Because he's not human now, right? Agreed. Yeah, okay, thank you. Great. Will he become more human than human? Uh, super <laughs> predictions. Uh, Giles, aka the Ripper, is going to die fighting Willow. I feel like they're <laughs> only bringing Giles back to kill him. We're done with okay. Giles. That's the show, man. So I want to thank everybody for listening. I've been your host, Dennis St. John. Uh, you can find me. I'm at Dennis Comics, D-E-N-I-S-C-O-M-I-X. That's Twitter. 
Instagram, and my .com, where you can see my monster comics, uh, my new dinosaur zine. Um, I'm also, you can also find my name on the credits for the Snoopy show on Apple TV+, Plus, which may be airing by the time this airs. I don't know. Um, Dude, it looks so good. It looks like such a fun show. Great work. Thank you. Yeah, it's been fun to work on. Um, and I want to thank you one and all for listening and talking to us at Buffy Virgin. Don't forget to rate us, and we hope you're subscribing. You can watch us on YouTube. Our Twitter is Buffy Virgin Pod, and our Instagram is Buffy Virgin. You can also check us out at BuffyVirgin.com. Reach out. We love to hear from you. We'll see you in hell. <laughs>